Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. So today I am delighted to welcome back Javed Bobat. Javed, you're so welcome back to Life Beyond the Numbers. I'm honoured to be a repeat guest. There's been one or two other instances recently as well where, well, I can't have done too shabby a job first time around to be invited back. So, but no, no, really pleased to be back doing this again. Thanks for having us. You're so welcome. It's great to have you back, actually. And I've had a couple of repeat guests, just two. So you're the third. And the first episode we recorded together was way back because it's episode 12. And I'll leave a link in the show notes. And for those who may not remember exactly what it is you do, Javed, maybe you just give us a quick reminder of what it is you're changing about the world. Yeah, sure. So in my small sort of little way, trying to have a a bit of a positive impact. So there's two companies that I've established in the last three years now. So they've been roughly three years each and going. So the first is I've set up a non-profit, which is called F-Mental Health. And I'd set that up to provide a a mixture of sort of mental health first aid training, support to one and one to individuals who are struggling with their mental health or well-being, as well as then supporting finance managers, finance leaders, working with heads of HR and people. And that could be a combination of a general mental health Q&A conversation through to their more workplace well-being strategy and anything else in the middle, really. So all of that I do, and it is a non-profit, so it's not a commercial venture where I'm in sort of my gut to make money out of it because thankfully that's not the bit that's going to make me money but I do have another company that I'm hoping that keeps a roof over my head so my other company Fired is an ethical recruitment concept that is the first in the UK of its kind so it combines finance recruitment and mental health so I'm there to recruit the right person for any company that I recruit for within finance I then put aside some of the fee to then as a well-being budget for the team I recruit into as well as then to fund and sustain my non-profit work around mental health. So in a nutshell, they're, they're the two things that I do. Yeah. And three years, which is more or less the same as me. And I can remember, actually, we connected very early on both of our journeys. And it's no joke, is it? Running your own company, not a mine too. 
Yeah, I can now say it with experience. If it has purpose behind it, and that's meaning a socially motivated mindset that it does make things a lot easier. I mean, not to say it's not been plain sailing and it may come up in this conversation or otherwise around, I make no secret about my own challenges around mental health and what I go through and have gone through pretty much all my adult life. But I think if there wasn't the purpose behind what I'm doing now, then I could have been in the situation as I was several years ago where I had everything that I wanted in the corporate world in terms of finance status and everything, but was deeply emotionless and distressed and unhappy and conflicted. And that led to a whole manner of challenges and problems in my own life. So yeah, I think what I have now, it doesn't feel like a job and doesn't feel that I'm almost a slave to somebody else. So yeah, hard work, absolutely. But I don't think I'd even got to where I'm now if it wasn't for that sort of purpose and how much it means to me and to get that across to others as well. Wow. And actually that tees us up really well for this conversation, I think, because it is that time of the year, January, when I suppose we think about making changes and sometimes that's tied up in New Year's resolutions and so on. But maybe we're thinking about what we'd like to accomplish or become or change or develop during the year ahead. And for many of us, career is front and center of that do I still want to be in this organization am I feeling at sea or some of the words you use there like emotionless and distressed and or do I want to be promoted this year there's a whole host of things that we can do in the year and for somebody who's wondering where to take their career next or what how to tackle that big life question where did mm. they start Javid and naturally this is a, as you correctly pointed out it's a time of year and I don't know whether it's because of there are things written about it around the highs and the build-up to the crested period and then there's a lull in January and the January blues and apparently there's one day in January that's the sort of I can't remember what they call it just like, like Black Tuesday the, or something isn't that yeah. like the bleakest day of the year apparently and yeah. which <clears throat> I think some of it I can understand I think as I said the highs of the festive period and then <clears throat> there's a bit of reflection you mentioned New Year's resolutions whether it happens to be now or you happen to be listening to this podcast at another time of the year that there's always merit and value in being proactive when it comes to making changes within your career and not really just sleepwalk into a a situation where your career is flatlining or you're not achieving and getting the satisfaction and the enjoyment that you want within a particular job. Now, that's not to say that you end up moving every six, 12 months, because I think we're heading into an era where 10 years are getting shorter and shorter. And I think that's going to present a lot of problems and challenges and issues on both sides, whether you're the job seeker or the employer. But if you are doing that evaluation, I think it's just zooming out from the lens and going, right, how long have I been in the role? But what was it that originally attracted me to that position, whether it's an internal move or you moved to that company? What have I achieved in the time? You know, is it everything that I expected? And then also then take a bit of a look forward to, right, in these next three, six, nine months, is there a clear up to a point clear direction that's been given by my employer line manager about where things are happening next? And if any of those raise 
questions where it isn't what you'd expect it then it's just exploring that a little bit more and going right okay if it's not achieved its expectation why hasn't it what's happened or not happened and there'll be some things that are within your control some things that are out of your control but I think this type of thought process is something and a reflective piece is something everyone needs to do before then making an informed decision because anything can happen where you get ticked off by your employer or line manager and those situations are going to arise all the time but you've got to make a more practical and a reasoned decision to want to leave and by doing this introspection that if you then go right okay um yes this role's been great but actually I can't see where I'm going moving forward or this role wasn't what I was expecting and I can't see it changing anytime soon and there's things that are out of my hands that I can't control then yes absolutely that should be your cue to want to look for a role so I think you're sort of recognising that irrespective of what may be out there that's drawing you to a role, and we talked about push and pull factors in our last conversation, but you've just got to make sure that you've given every opportunity to your existing employer role to make sure that that you've done everything you can to try and to make it a success and you've got the most that you can out of it, I guess. And if you have, and then great, you move forward. If not, then explore the conversation with your line manager and employer to see what it looks like for you next. But yeah, I think just not to make any knee-jerk decisions, and especially around this time of the year where, you know, everyone else may be thinking of sort of making those moves and and actually it may not be that necessarily the right decision for you. There's a lot in that, actually. And one of the words you used that jumped out for me, I think, was success and make it a success. How do we measure success of a role and is that something we should consider before we ever take a role what will success look like in this role for me Mm. you know what I mean because I think that's quite a personal thing too isn't it for somebody and maybe we think of the extrinsic stuff like salary and days holidays or whatever but perhaps there's more to it than just that yeah and I think we've we're coming through a period where there's been a huge supply and demand disconnect, especially when it comes to recruitment across the board and within my niche of accounting and finance in particular. And there's been a lot of people that have been moving for a salary increase and incrementing that's a lot more than perhaps even they'd envisaged 18 months ago. I think beyond the salary and everything, there's got to be, are you getting that job enjoyment and that job satisfaction? Do you feel a sense of purpose and value and almost part of the company? Or is your relationship with your company just transactional? To a degree, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. However, there's a heck of a lot you're missing out on by not feeling connected and part of purpose, a mission, a vision, or just something that can then really make your levels of job enjoyment taken to another level completely. However, it does make me wonder very recently that has some of those relationships become a bit more like transactional where employee, employee, I'm here to do a job and I'll sort of do it well. And then the employer's almost not wanting too much more or they may want to, but you're just making it transactional. But I think the meaning's got to come beyond the role. And it also depends on time of your life. If you're extremely career hungry and motivated in that stage of your career where that trajectory is really steep, then you absolutely need to be proactive and do everything to hustle and make those moves to get to where you want to be. But that may change depending on where you're at in your life. And there's various milestones that can determine that. I look back at some of the enjoyment and some of the key things that were important to me when I was in my 20s is different to what it is now. So I think not to have a measure of 
what it might be as an absolute for you because it will change depending on where you're at in your life and what things are changing for you outside of work not just in work yeah that's a great point actually that what's important in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or I'm heading to the 50s soon it changes quite dramatically decade to decade but also even perhaps job to job and do you think there's merit then, Javed, in taking time every year to reflect? Or would you need to do it even more frequently? Is it worth revisiting your values, your beliefs, your measures of success regularly? Mm. I think you'd probably want to do it along roughly similar timelines to when you talk about evaluating your role and where you're at with your career. So I would say that after year one, between 12 and 18 months is when you should be sense checking for your own career. And that's right. The things that I mentioned earlier is the company, the role, what I expected, relationship with your line manager, culture and everything. Is it exactly what I want it to be? And do I see where it's going next and what's in it for me moving forward? So I think whilst you're doing that, you also want to perhaps bring in what you want from work and life as a whole, because... If anything, the last two, two and a half years has taught us that there's been a heck of a lot more reflection gone on and people's priorities have changed. And I can see it not just firsthand in conversation that I'm having with people where they've evaluated and whether it could be moving away from the big smoke of London and relocating back for a better work-life balance, or they've perhaps taken sort of sideways moves from a career point of view, because at this moment that suits them absolutely fine. So I think, yeah, I'd definitely do them alongside because I think society and the world is evolving and changing at such a rapid rate at the moment that actually if you don't do it that you could almost feel like you'll have had sort of wasting time and not seize perhaps sort of opportunities and, and listen to your body and mind a little bit more about what you really want versus are you actually in this job and in your career are you truly happy are you truly contented or is it a means to an end and you know just as an add-on to that I think there's a lot of people especially within my niche of finance as more senior you get that are doing the job but I just don't think they're as enjoying it as much and getting that level of purpose and satisfaction and but that's probably another conversation altogether (laughs) and maybe I won't I'm so glad I'm not having because I had that myself I suppose I found that that actually I got to a point in a career in finance where I just didn't want to do it anymore the numbers and they're still really important to me and I love the numbers but actually I wasn't getting that meaning from my mm-hmm. job I wasn't focusing on what really mattered to me and and I didn't know what I really wanted and I think Javid that's a hard thing to figure out often for people what do they really want and we tend to think about what we don't want but mm-hmm. of course if we think about what we don't want then that's where our thought process goes and yeah. It's much better, isn't it, to focus on what it is we want. So if I am listening to this and I'm going, well, I don't know what I want. I have no idea what I want. Where do you start there? That's where it comes to, right, what is it that you're looking for within your career and your working life as it stands at the moment? 
Forget what it might have been five, seven, ten years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Forget how you were brought up in terms of what your parents' expectations were about what it means to have that successful job and career and everything else. This is about the here and now for you and taking those influences and putting them to one side and going, what's important for you? What's going to give you enjoyment? I guess within there, there's got to be a sense of reality within there as well that you could be at a certain level from a career point of view that to make that complete segue shift and not you know to a degree then sort of move completely will be impractical and I'm not just talking beyond financially it's just the means and this how you need to sustain yourself your family and everything so there's got to be a dose of realism within there as a radical well what can I change and control and make the necessary adjustments but you might have to compromise on some elements so and the things we can all control is the company we work for the culture the environment relationship you have with your line manager how well you feel engaged supported how your employer makes you feel and I think bearing in mind we're spending a lot of our lives whether virtually or in offices these days that relationship with your employer is something that you can sort of have control over and if one or more of those components isn't where it needs to be that's when you've got to think look I need to evaluate what's next because if I'm spending next amount of my every day and committed and dedicated that actually gone are the days where there's that employer employee disconnect where your employer you do as we say and everything else I think there's there's a lot more of an equitable relationship now between the two and that's not going away so if on the things that I mentioned, it's not giving you what you want, then that's the time to go look. What does it look like next? What, you know, what do I want from my career, from my job, from and how does that fit into my life as a whole? And then you make those decisions accordingly. And if that means moving roles, someone even makes segue moves from a career point of view, then then so be it. I mean, I've seen a huge emergence of people moving into the world of portfolio. FD work, some moving into the world of contracting, maybe not because of IR35 these days, but actually they've done it for a genuine lifestyle reason. So that all these changes that people make and there's reasons behind it, you look at the various options and then choose what's for you, especially if you're in a position where one or more of the factors that I mentioned before that, that your employer is not giving you. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess anything goes. We are in an era where it is possible to move and it is possible to reinvent yourself or whatever the terminology might be. A while ago, somebody I I was doing some work with was really focused on their next role. And one of the things we honed in on was what were the three non-negotiables? What did you really want from this role? And we came up with three L's, funny enough. And one L was leadership, that the leadership of the organization was absolutely the type of leadership that person wanted and could buy into. Another one was location. So the location was actually a non-negotiable for that person. And the third thing was learning. Am I going to learn in this role? And I think if you even have ideas like that in your head, that that's going to bring me joy or satisfaction or enjoyment, like you mentioned, then it becomes easier to navigate the world of looking for a job. Yeah. And I think that the non-negotiable is a great suggestion, really, because what you're then saying is there's an overriding wish list that you sort of have and go, right, what is there that's important to you? And then you bring your wish list together. And then from there, you draw out 
the non-negotiables for you. So the three you mentioned as an example there for that individual may not necessarily correlate to you or the next person. However, by having the overriding wish list and then prioritizing that wish list is the second point. And then the third is then go around which are the non-negotiables, then that will invariably help to get you to then make the right decision. But all of this is about introspecting and reflecting and making more considered decisions that involve your life and your career. And rather than knee-jerking because you're going through a, a particularly testing time at work or you've had a disagreement with your line manager or you're not getting on at the moment or there's other factors as well. So it's making more practical decisions, not emotional decisions when it comes to looking for all. And I just see it far too often, just people have made decisions that are too much based on emotions and more often than not, they'll end up regretting it because the true essence of why they should be looking for all and what's important to them was lost in all the emotion. So when I see someone wanting to leave within six months or nine months or under 12 months of looking for a new role, that that would suggest to me that that thought process and that introspection didn't happen to then make a practical decision. I see it all the time. And that's where I'm trying to understand the psychology of someone looking for all, why you're looking, what's important to you. And always encourage everyone to do the same irrespective of whoever they speak to don't let any emotions take too much of a stranglehold when it comes to making decisions and i suppose it's understanding the underlying causes really is what you're saying there as well isn't mm-hmm. it and as a recruiter then javed obviously you're getting people coming to you is it obvious when people are not really sure about what they want or are a bit directionless on their career and is it harder then to put them forward for roles because you're almost envisioning I would imagine they're going to be gone in six to 12 months again yeah I think one of the telltale signs is oh I'm just open to anything really as long as it's better money and it's roughly in the same location that almost suggests to me is that there's not really understanding yourself and what's important to you and there's not been that thought process now for some they don't want to think to that level of detail and which is fine however what you may find is you'll end up just moving from one job to another and it'd be luck that you find the home that you end up staying at for several years but then the people that do move around this is where the the decision making has been very much at that sort of level of yeah just a bit more money just fancy a change generally the ones who are career hungry and motivated they're the ones you can tell and that's when you can really help them and give them more of a steer and go like, have you thought about this? What about that? And make sure that they have enough from me in a conversation to go, right, let me go away and reflect. And then from there, then make the right decision in terms of what what's important for me. Mm. And job searching then, it's not for the faint hearted often. No. <laughs> it's a bit of a jungle. And I read somewhere that depending on your level of salary, once you get over a certain level, it takes you a month per every £10,000 or dollars or whatever. So if you're on, let's say, £120,000, then it's going to take you probably a year to find a new role. And in that year, you are searching and you're interviewing and all of that. Now, I'm just that's just a, a figure I read somewhere. It may or may not be true, but I don't think finding a job is something that you just wake up one morning and you find a new job, certainly at a certain level of your career. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess the only caveat to that is, let's say, if your hand's been forced, so let's say there's redundancy, restructuring, or elements like that that are completely out of your control, and all of a sudden you're put in a position where you have to look for a role, that is a different conversation altogether. But the level you're looking at, you need to give yourself that time to make sure that you make the right informed decision. The things that we discussed before is before you even set foot in attending interviews, etc., is just taking that time to reflect and go right, what's important for you, etc. Because not only will that help you, but it'll also help the people that you're speaking with, whether that's recruiters and headhunters, etc., to then make sure that they're clear in their mind in terms of what's important to you and you're not wasting anybody's time as a result. Once you have that sort of clarity and know exactly what you want to do next and what's important and what isn't, then it makes everybody's life a lot easier. If you are doing it half-heartedly, if you're doing it where he goes, yeah, just if you've got anything else, you know, that roughly at that level and that's how he let me know, then, yeah, that fraughts with a huge amount of risk. Why you move in, are you moving for the right reasons and the lottery of whether that role works out or not? And I suppose it's also how do you stay the long haul or how do you manage your own expectations during that time? Like, let's say you get rejected, you don't get the mm. first few interviews, you make it yeah. to the final three and you do that for five or six times. It's hard to keep your level of motivation and not get dispirited. And yeah. what's the point? I may as well stare where I am. Yeah. How do people cope there? Do you know what? It's hard. And I I talk about the concept of building up your resilience and, and just overall mental fitness when it comes to looking for a role. And that will vary from what that looks like from one person to another. But if you're in a position, whether it's a forced situation or otherwise, that you're looking for a role, you've got to be in a position resilient enough to handle sort of rejection. For every role you apply for, there's so many others that have applied for a role. And unfortunately, there's just one person that's going to get it. So you're sat with a majority that may not have got the role at different stages. Rejection is part of life. I think as long as you're getting constructive feedback in terms of why, and then you can learn from it, then that's great. I know sometimes that isn't always easily attainable, whether that's because the recruiters have not asked the question or the client have not given the information to help us. The classic pip to the post or you've just been edged out or someone else with a bit more experience, that sort of feedback doesn't really help. I think if you're getting rejected and you don't have some tangible information like that, you just take a step back and go, right, what could I have done differently in that process? If I'm being really critical, what could I have done better and improved on? And then make sure that then you address those for your next interview. I think outside of the job search, and I talk about the mental fitness side, you really, it's probably a time where you've got to maintain and really work on that. And that's everything from, you, you know, your sleep, your diet, what do you do to sort of maintain your sort of physical health within there? What are you doing to work on your mental well-being, whatever that looks like, journaling, mindfulness, there's so many different things you can do, but not to neglect that because if you do neglect it, then that will then seep into how you come across within your job search because only if you are the best version of you physically and mentally in an interview, that's what's going to come across. So just be sure to focus and invest time in your own well-being whilst you're navigating a career change or a job move and know that 
for example, don't sit there doom scrolling, searching and applying for jobs every hour of the day. Be ruthless enough to have cut off points and then go, right, I need to step away now. What am I doing to make sure I focus on me time, time with my family, children, if you do happen to have children, what works for you in terms of improving your well-being? And I think even though it may not feel it at the time, it's going to make a massive difference to how you come across in an interview because if they're neglected and then your job search as has too much sort of emotion pent into it, even though you may think that you're hiding it, it actually does come across even subconsciously in an interview. And I've seen it with so many people where <clears throat> the emotions have been far too powerful. And once they address their well-being and clarity in their decision-making and why they're doing it, all of a sudden their conversions are a lot more and you end up actually not having to go to that many interviews to secure a role because there's that purpose and clarity in where you're going and you are managing your mental well-being during that time as well. So just not to neglect that is what I would definitely say you should do. That, that sounds absolutely brilliant, really. That's great advice to anyone. And as you were talking there, I was reminded of I was in a job that I just really wanted out of. And this is quite a number of years ago now. And I got an interview for a role that was just fantastic. And I got approached about it as well. So I, everything was on the right track for me. And it was a telephone interview, the first round. And I remember as I was answering some of the questions, thinking to myself, oh, my God, you sound desperate because I was desperate to get out of where I was. And it was fascinating because I came off the call and my own reflection was, whoa, who was that person? And I was prepared for the interview. But I think what you're saying, Javid, was the desire, the push factor <laughs> probably was way stronger than the pull factor. And yeah. I never heard from them again, other to say than we haven't made it to the next round. And it was a big lesson at the time because I knew I had to actually sort out myself before I could move on from that job and that role. Mm. And yeah. It is a hard lesson to learn. It is. And, you know, it was in the first podcast. I know about these concepts of push and pull factors. And basically for the ones who have not heard the concept before that I've presented on is the push factors are what's pushing you out of that role or for you to be instigating this change of looking for a role. So that could be salary, your relationship with your manager, company, that you don't enjoy working there, you're not getting the progression development, all these things that are push factors. But what you need to have are strong pull factors as well. And that pull factor is everything around that company role, the culture, everything that's important to you. You talked about the wish list and then your non-negotiables. They all need to match up. But if your push factors are too dominant and because a lot of the push factors are very emotion based, that it can and does come across, you know, in an interview process as you experience and others do as well. And if you're coming across, whether it's angry or frustrated because you've been let down by your employer, it's going to affect your interview chances and you've really got to manage your emotions when it comes to looking for a job and really look at the push and pull factors and make sure that your push factors aren't too dominant because if they are too dominant, they will have a negative impact on your job search. It will take you longer to find a role because in interviews, you're perhaps not coming across in the best version of yourself and 
whether it's not even things you'll do consciously because you never no one that I speak to goes out of the way going into an interview and starts wearing their heart on the sleeve and sharing their anger and frustrations and everything else but subconsciously you're giving it across in your tone your language your persona and everything else and that's the bit you want to manage and get under control and if you can do that then you will as I said notice your ratios of how many interviews you get, how many second interviews you get, and offers will increase on the back of having that sense of calm about you. Yeah, I like that sense of calm, because mm-hmm. I guess that, and not calm in a way that you're horizontal and you don't get passionate about your skills and your desires and whatever, but calm in that there's something very attractive about calm. And the other word mm. you used earlier was clarity and purpose. And I think mm. if a future employer sees that in somebody, then there's a stability about you and a reliability and a consistency, perhaps, that there are the things that we're looking for. And and if you come across as calm and because our nervous systems regulate with one another, then the interview room will be calm as well. Yeah, just calm, clarity, presence of mind, laser focus around what you bring to the table, but what you're looking for from them as well. And in theory, it should mean that you have a lot more meaningful and engagement discussion and interviews now and not just a one way street where you just ask questions, you answer it. I'm encouraging the clients that I work with and you are seeing it more and more where it is a two way thing. So no matter what role you're looking for, at what level that you are able to make those conversations a lot more two-way as a result. It will come across if it's conscious or subconscious that we all give certain vibes off, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But as I said, all the things that we mentioned before, I think just having that, and it can result in the calmness, presence of mind. It will make a massive difference in you making the right decisions, not just moving for the sake of moving. Absolutely. And um, the other thing is then... What about leaving a job without another one to go to? And this is by choice. So actually deciding, do you know what? I'm out of here. I've had it. I don't want to be here for whatever reason. Now, there's that saying it's easier to find a job when you're in a job. But from personal experience, I I suppose I was fortunate in a way, but I left every single job that I had without yeah. another job to go to. And Yeah, sometimes it took me a bit longer to land back on my feet, but I always did. What would you say, Javid? If you're making that decision to leave and not have something to go to, you first have to sit down with, not just with yourself, but whoever that matters. And if that happens to be family and obviously kids as well, it's the practical elements of making that decision so the obvious one is, right, okay, well, if I leave a job and I have nothing to go to and I don't find something straight away, how many months have, have I got to make sure that you're maintaining your sort of financial commitments and the commitments required to stay alive and healthy and everything else and not neglect the commitments that you have, whether it's mortgage or otherwise? And also within there, okay, well, what sacrifices potentially I may need to make? And this is all potential because you're talking about, okay, well, you don't know how long it's going to take you to find a role. So... You've got to just make sure that you've really thought it through and practical and you've done all the sums and numbers to and looked beyond the numbers to make sure that it is a practical and a sensible, a reasonable decision for you. Once you've done that, I think what you will invariably notice is then, you know, we talked about purpose and clarity and knowing exactly where you're going with it. It will make process a lot easier because 
but it happens for most that you're looking for a role with a lot of potential anger and frustration and whatever it might be of your employer and again that's going to come across so I think you almost take that weight off your shoulders and it will have a notable impact in terms of how you're coming across as I said the caveat is just make sure it's been well thought out you don't think oh well I'm just going to do it and not having thought about the practical implications of doing so but definitely do that and then beyond that there is absolutely proven and I've seen it so often I spoke to someone just this afternoon and said look and she was in a more early stage of her career. She was on a three-month notice. She was like, yeah, I felt like the three-month notice was dragging me back and I almost felt like it was a noose over my neck, metaphorically. So I just went, I'm handing my notice in. All of a sudden, in many ways, some of the pressure and expectations were off and can really just focus on the job search, not have to duck and dive aligned to your employer and line manager and all these other things. You've made a decision that you're going to leave. You can then have much clearer conversations with whoever you're chatting with. She's in now a fortunate position where she does have a, a job offer, but she knows her end date, but she's now in a position where, okay, I've had an offer. I've not accepted it yet, but she said, look, I think it's 80%. We've discussed what it needs to be to get it to 85, 90% and above. And if she then finds something like that, great. She just felt it made a massive difference having made the decision of, right, I'm leaving. She didn't have a job to go to at the time. She didn't even have an interview to go to at the time, but made a notable difference in her outlook and how she was coming across. And she's only needed two interviews, both of them have offered so far. Yeah, I know somebody who had a similar situation actually resigned because of a long notice period, had been looking for a job, nothing was happening. And didn't want to do that, but actually then when they did it, the relief they felt was tremendous because they were no longer trying to escape yeah. from that job. Now they were focused on finding a new job and the, the push mm. and pull factors, that balance shifted, I guess, again. Exactly. And then you can really focus on, right, what are the pull factors? And I'm now in a position of relative strength and I'm going to make a decision that's right for me. I've already made that decision that I'm leaving. So then you go, right, what's important to me? Bringing in everything we mentioned, wish list, prioritise the non-negotiables. And then go, right, based on that, I don't need to go to any and every interview. Although now you do have the luxury of time because you're not having to duck and dive. It's more than the cooperation with your existing employer, which okay, isn't going to be easy because you've said you're leaving, but ultimately your conscience is a bit clearer. So you can have a lot more upfront and direct conversations. But yeah, it does make a difference to some people. Uh, it's just that risk element and calculated risk and just thinking it through. Yeah, and, and having conversations with people, seeking out a bit of help, asking people, not so much advice, but just Getting people to prompt you to think about the things that matter to you is always helpful, I think. And, yeah. But what now if we're on the other side of the coin completely and I'm a line manager and I'm trying to retain my staff and I'm maybe not doing the best job at that either. Mm -hmm. How can I change my ways a little bit? I guess if you're a line manager, a lot of it is driven by the value proposition is of your employer as a whole. So you've really got to know what you're offering to somebody beyond the actual immediate role. 
because invariably the immediate role isn't going to be the thing that convinces someone to join you. It's all the other factors that come into play. What's in it for me is the big one. So culture, environment, relationship with the manager, opportunities for development. What's the culture like in terms of how supportive we are for employee well-being? Not just saying it in a tokenistic way, we, su- we support work-life balance or well-being, but I always try and get clients when I speak to look, I need specific examples of how you demonstrate it. So if, this is a, a great example that I've had this kind of year. So a company goes, we promote work-life balance. Now, everyone can say that, but, so, <laughs> but this particular company, they went a step further. So, right, we've created a KPI that monitors overtime. And if it goes more than two or three hours a week, then it flags up as, as a notification. And then that then goes to the line manager. That line manager then reviews and goes, right, okay, is this a capability issue or a workload issue? and then review what's going on. So that is something, a tangible set of actions that go, right, we want to create a minimal, if not no overtime culture. And we've developed this KPI that tracks that, and we can then address what's the reasons behind the overtime. So it goes, I think it don't just say, you know, and I've seen so many packages are promote employee wellbeing and everything. So no, specifically, what do you do or what have you put in place? Bring examples to life about, what's it like to work there and things that you put in place like that your job seeker now they're very savvy and it's looking beyond the words for example my offering isn't just a tokenistic thing it's a tangible thing you recruit through me i'll find the right person and you get a mental health and well-being budget there's something tangible which definitely helps the clients that i work with and for me to attract people but yeah if you're sat there the line manager i think you've really got to get that value proposition right with specific and tangible sort of insights beyond just the words of a thesaurus and then go right and then bring it to life about what it's like working there and if you do that it'll help you not just bring in the right people but then you talk about engaging and retaining them as well these are factors that are going to help in doing that as well and it's only when those needs aren't met someone in a role that they want their professional career needs met but now they also want their emotional needs met within the working environment and only the companies that can address both those are going to be the ones that will minimize retention. But the ones who don't, you invariably see now and will still struggle moving forward, will lose people unnecessarily sooner and they could have done more about it. And the shame of it with some companies is they do seem to have things in place around well-being, but then that line manager hasn't taken individual accountability and almost relied too much on HR or centrally coordinated efforts and that's something that I'm hugely pushing to every line manager. You're accountable to your team's output. Why are you leaving well-being to HR function? Like you've almost got to wrestle that back and go, right, I can control what I can. And I think there's a real disconnect. The amount of times I hear, oh, yeah. So that's just where you are when it comes to promoting the well-being of your team. What do you do? Oh, that's HR's job. And I just like despair. These are people in leadership roles in finance at the moment that are saying that to me. So that is something that I'm slowly trying to get the message across that needs to change. I absolutely am like so (laughs) happy to hear you say that because for me, if you line manage people, then you are a people manager because you're line managing people and people management is part of your role. Your role as a manager or a director or leader is on the people side just as much. And if you're not dedicated to doing the best for your people, then you're in the wrong job. 
Yeah. And you should be in a different job and you shouldn't be giving it to HR. You shouldn't be giving it to anyone. It is absolutely your responsibility as a line manager to take the people side of your yeah. job as seriously as the technical side of your job. Yeah. The canny thing is that if you do, and the ones who do, productivity, engagement, retention levels, output, job enjoyment, satisfaction, all those metrics will be a lot higher, but whatever reason the penny's not dropped, I think some of it is a cultural thing where you saw HR as this function that dealt with everything people related, whereas I'm music to a lot of heads of HR and heads of people because I'm advocating the devolving of that responsibility and delegation out to line managers. So I know that when I speak to them, they're like, thankfully there's others out there that are quickly realising that it isn't just us. Go to the head of people, go to the head of HR. So, yeah, within my area, I'm just promoting that a lot more. And I think the message is getting through. Well, there's still a long way to go, but there's just a mindset shift that will take a little bit of time, but definitely progress has been made. Yeah. And my three word phrase is professional is personal. Don't have a professional person without having personal in it. Because you talk about being your best self at interviews or at work. We hear a lot about authenticity, all of these things. That's all about who I am as a person. And I think I will be more committed, more dedicated, more diligent if I'm treated as a person as well. And it's so important to be seen, especially if you're in finance beyond the numbers, but also to see beyond the numbers. And I think in any role in an organization, it's not the numbers that make the decisions, it's the people. The numbers might drive us to the decisions, but it is the people. And if you treat the people right, then you're probably going to get the numbers right too. Yeah. And it's an old adage there, you know, look after your people and they'll look after you. But for whatever reason, the true essence of that has been lost in time and obviously it's only more recently and COVID does accelerate it where well-being is really sort of being driven forward now within workplaces and society as a whole as long as that sort of trend sort of continues which it will because there's a generational shift that's going to ensure that it will but I know invariably the ones that will always struggle in in these times are the ones who are a bit more set in the ways even the ones who feel that actually it worked for me before but why wouldn't it work now it's like well times change and evolve and change and the best leaders out there and line managers are the ones that are just an adapt and if you do that and you understand all these different components that mean you have to adjust and adapt you'll be an even better leader moving forward the ones who don't they're the ones who are really struggling now and will continue to struggle both in attracting the right people and then engage and retaining them as well. And yeah, there's a lot of my conversations. It isn't just about recruitment, but I talk about not just how you're attracting people, but how you engage and retaining, where is mental health and well-being in all that conversation and beyond just the fluffy part of what well-being may be perceived. As I mentioned a few moments ago, just a person wants their professional career and then their emotional needs met by not your employer, by you, your line manager in that department, because that's the immediate culture, not the overriding company culture, that's the immediate culture that's going to influence and shape them. And if you can then create that as a line manager and realise that I'm going to take control of every element, it's going to make you look good. That's the bottom line. That's a drum that I'm 
banging at the moment. And I think it's going to take a while for it to sort of really sort of, you know, hit home for many others. But yeah, the ones who are adopting it earlier are seeing the rewards, they're getting the right people in, productive, engaged, motivated people within their teams. And they're not having to recruit as often. Yeah, I think it's your responsibility as a line manager. There are people in your care and you look after them and they'll look after you. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. And just because it's simple, it doesn't mean it's easy, but it doesn't mean you should abdicate that responsibility either. Yeah. So look, Javed, I can't believe we're out of time already. That time has just flown. There's been some fantastic nuggets in there for people thinking about careers in general and it's always helpful I think that was one of the things you said to take stock so if someone would like to connect with you or learn more how can they do that I'm on a lot of the social platforms the one I'm most active on is on LinkedIn so absolutely you'll be able to find me on there and I post a lot of content that and blogs and stories that I'm sure people write obviously there's through my websites whether it's a recruitment company website fired or F mental health so any of those and all I say is anyone out there that wants to speak to me providing, for example, mental health, well-being or job search or career coaching, mentoring or support is never conditional on you looking for a job through me or using me for recruitment. So I've, I've always tried to make that clear that, look, it's something that I'm really passionate about. Obviously, I need to be, protect my own boundaries that I can't then be in a position to help everyone. But yes, my niche is mainly within accounting and finance, and that's where... I'm supporting most people, but I get others in different professions now and again that will approach me and I find it hard to say no, so therefore I'll help where I can. But yeah, I think any of those sort of channels really, LinkedIn being the main one and through my website, some whatever resonates or you want to learn more about, whether it's sort of from a career point of view or mental health and well-being, they're probably through to retention and engagement, workplace well-being pieces, they're, they're probably the hats that I assume. So yeah, any any or a combination of those hats, happy to help. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. It is always a pleasure chatting to you, Javed. I always enjoy our conversations and I'm sure you'll be back again. Well, I said looking forward to it already, but no, thanks for having us. And yeah, it's been a really enjoyable chat. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.